Hello, everybody. Today is a very special episode of The Breakdown, where it's really a crossover episode where I want to introduce to some of you and remind others of you who are already familiar with it that here at the North Star, we produce a podcast called Momentum Advisors from financial advisors, Alan Boomer, Tiffany Hawkins. It's an amazing podcast that I learn so much from each and every week. And I want you to hear from them. I want you to also go directly to their podcast. You can just type in Momentum Advisors on Apple Podcasts, on Google. But today we're going to play you a full episode of their podcast and encourage you to also go subscribe to their podcast, listen to all the episodes, and be prepared to learn, to laugh, and to be able to understand how to get not just control of your finances, but just get a much deeper understanding of what it means to be financially literate, responsible, progressive, and all of that. So without further ado, please listen to today's episode of The Breakdown right here as we introduce you to the Momentum Advisors show. Imagine who we could be if we knew who we were. The dramatic pauses, mic the pregnant drop. pauses. The mic is up. Nobody dropped the mic. Um, but that's kind of what we're talking about today. Talking about the miseducation of the Negro. And the miseducation of the people in general. Like there's so many things that we've been taught that are lies and we perpetuate them and bad information just multiplies and we got to circumvent that. We got to stop it because folks have been taught the wrong things for way too long. And I guess that's kind of like the, I guess the bigger issue, right? Like we can't just stop it, right? Like if we don't know the information is wrong, we, we don't know that information has a negative motive or it has the motive to kind of um, make us think differently about ourselves. So I think it's just more being enlightened and open-minded. Yeah. So like the woman king, like one of the things that I'm super excited about is just seeing like black folks in a different light in the sense of, okay, there was slavery. We know it. Okay. Black folks participated in capturing their neighboring villages. We know it. But when have we seen black people portrayed on the big screen as kings, as valiant warriors, as just strong, beautiful people. And like, that's what I saw in the, the the limited pieces of what I've seen in this movie. And, you know, it just reminds me of like, when I, when I saw that, I'm just thinking to myself, man, if, if I hadn't learned about these Adoji warriors as a kid, I might think differently about myself. There's so many kingdoms, so many Queens that we just don't know about where if we did, we might have a bit more self-esteem or we might look at ourselves a little bit differently. So this conversation also reminds me of the book, The Miseducation of the Negro by Carter G. Woodson, which was written in 1933. But what's crazy, it's still very applicable today. And I've, I've pulled a couple of quotes, Tiffany, from the book that I'm going to read. And we're going to just talk about how they still ring true today. Go for it. So the, the main thesis of this book is this notion that 
the way we are educated in this country, and he's really speaking to black people, the way we are educated is designed to teach us that we are inferior. It's designed to make other races and cultures feel like they are superior. And it's indoctrinating us, right? And so some of the quotes from the book that really move me, if you can control a man's thinking, you don't have to worry about his action. When you determine what a man shall think, you don't have to be concerned about what he's going to do, right? And again, it's this idea of mind control. Like, I'm going to put you on a spot. Like, what are some things that you were taught that later in life you realized weren't true? Uh, the size of the United States in comparison to the size of Africa. Mm. But I think, you know, and then that's just kind of like one really small thing. But I do think about... I. Prior to this career field that I'm currently in, several, several years ago, I was in media. And I just know for a fact how media can't be trusted. And that was honestly 15 years ago. Today, media as it is today has a motive. Oftentimes, it's just to be salacious. It's never to be true. It's never to be informative. It's to incite reaction. And it's to gather eyeballs so that they can make more money off of advertisers. But we take that information as word, whether it comes through social media, whether it comes through uh, TV, radio, whatever the case is. And that speaks to a lot of our miseducation. Even these quote unquote studies that come out about the wealth or the lack of wealth in the black home, yeah, right? Especially in the future. I know you guys have like seen these articles or heard these stories around you know, in 10 years, the African-American community will have no wealth or negative... Negative net worth. Net worth. How do you know that? Like, who's telling you this information, first of all? And second of all, like, I just don't believe it. I've, Alan and I have often said sometimes we think that these statistics are not true. We think they're a false narrative. We think that it's put out there to kind of enslave our thinking about ourselves. Because if we believe that we're going to have a negative net worth, that's the direction that we are going to move towards. That's going to be our highest expectation of ourselves. And God forbid, we believe, what if a study came out that said in 10 years, Black people as a whole will quadruple their net worth? What do you think would happen? Like, how do you think people would think about things? Okay. In reality, like, I would be excited, but I think a lot of folks would look at that and try to tear it apart. Uh, like, of course, that reason, aside, regardless, why, regardless of that, yeah, of course. right? So to just but say, if, if we, we saw it and we believed, and believed it, it, then I think it would come true. Because everybody doesn't have to believe it, right? But just a couple of people, enough people have to believe it. Say only 20% believed it. Those 20% would start to think differently. They would start to maneuver differently. They would start to look at their finances differently. They would start to think about wealth for their children differently. It's hearing that we are constantly spending too much money, we're always in debt, and we're going to have a negative net worth, even in the future. Regardless of what you're doing right now, in the future, your net worth is going to be negative. Yeah. We track in that direction. Yeah. And, and it doesn't have to be true in your household, for sure. And you know. honestly, Alan and I, we see people's net worth. Yep. All we the time. see their assets. We know how much money they have in the bank. We know what their income is. You know, and I want to say maybe like 40% 40, 40 of our clients are black. Okay. Okay. Probably. So maybe. It's enough though. Okay. Yeah. We have hundreds and hundreds of clients. So it's yeah. it's 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 more than a hundred black households. We're not seeing negative net worth anywhere. At all. At all. Yeah. Right? And so for people who are speculating, that's one thing. For but for people who are in the field and we actually see what black people are doing, 
Even people who aren't our clients who just reach out and ask for an analysis, it's not trending negative. If for nothing else, we see exponential growth in the assets in Black households. But that's not talked about, and that's not the narrative or the information that's pushed towards us. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I believe that we can create wealth. I believe that we can break these these generational curses. I believe we can start businesses. We can do so much if we just believe that we could. Yeah, but I think you're missing my point. It's not that we can, we are, and we have been. Yeah. We are doing these things. We have been doing these things. You and I are doing these things. We know millions of other people who are doing these things. There are tens of millions of other people who we don't know who are doing these things. It's never somehow included in the research study. It's never included in the information in the news that's pushed to our community. It has an impact. It has an impact about how you think about your finances. It has an impact. We just did a show around fear. It incites fear around your own wealth, around your own financial situation because of all the negative information that you're hearing in regards to black households. So I was driving recently and I saw a billboard that was funded by TIAA-CREF. This is the Teachers Insurance and Annuity Association College Retirement and Equity Fund, TIAA-CREF. I, I know that acronym, what it stands for, rolls off the tongue. But the billboard basically said that there's a 30% wealth gap among women retirees. And there's a lot of things that go into that. Like women don't often get equal pay for the same amount of work. But a lot of times these stats can frustrate us. They can make us look down on ourselves. And it doesn't mean it has to be true in your portfolio. Because I will tell you, the women that we see, that we encounter in our client book and the folks that reach out to us, a lot of times the women's money situation is way better than a lot of these dudes. Facts. No one talks about that, though. Where's the study on that? Yeah, I think that's a show that we, honestly, like if we're being honest, it's a show Alan and I have been trying to do for years. Yeah, um, I've been trying to convince Tiffany to do the show. That's a lie. She's, that's a she's lie. been slow rolling, that's a, that's, dragging that's her That's not true. Honestly, what the real issue is, and while it may not feel like it, you know, we do research and pull a lot of information before every show. And literally for years, since before the establishment of this podcast, we've been trying to do a show around how women are doing so well yeah. in their finances. But the holdup has been, there's not a lot of information out there about yeah. it. There's not a lot of statistics out there. Like, we don't just like to get on and speculate. Like, we like to have information to back us and to support us and just to make sure we're telling the truth. And it's so hard to find. Yeah, there there are reports that show that women are better investors than men, and a lot of it has to do with their ability to be patient and um, insight and things like that. And, and I just haven't seen it on this point of wealth. And I've read about how women are better investors than men, and it's in spite of the fact that they don't have as much money to invest. Mm-hmm. It's that the way that they invest is more thoughtful and considerate. And so it causes for better returns than how men tend to invest. So they are also more open to more information when it comes to investing versus men who y'all, you know, y'all just tend to think y'all know. I know I already know. I don't need I don't need anybody to tell me what I'm about to do. Is this an indictment? I feel I'm like just, you're staring me I'm dead not, in the face like I mean you're a like, man. <laughs> what do you want me to do? I didn't do it. Okay. Okay. But Again, this is the information that's not out there. It's the information that's not readily available. And so when we talk about like the miseducation, it is the information that is pushed towards you versus the information that isn't. 
And so that information lives in you and then it resonates, right? It becomes a part of your truth and you speak it and make it a part of other people's truths. And it is an attack. It is an attack on our society. It is an attack on our wealth. It is an attack on our ability and opportunities. And we're just going to talk about how to break out of that. Absolutely. Another good quote. Again, 1933, Carter G. Woodson. Alan's birth year. Shout out to you, Alan. Scratch that. Um, I, I was not born then. I was actually born significantly <laughs> later than, than then. Okay. Thank you very much. But Carter G. Woodson also said, no man knows what he can do until he tries. No man knows what he can do until he tries. There's so many different like applications of this one. But I remember when I was a kid, I, I had asthma and the doctor would tell me, you know, I, I can't I, tell my mom and me, you know, you, you got to watch him. He's not going to be able to, you know, uh, play sports. He's not going to be able to go out and play with the other kids. And, you know, and I also just remember like in high school, I had a, a guidance counselor who told me that maybe I shouldn't be looking at four-year colleges. Maybe I should look at a trade school or a community college. And again, nothing wrong with community college, but th there are people that try to put limits on us to the point where we won't even try. Like if I had listened, like I, I wasn't an Olympic athlete, but I went on to be a pretty decent athlete, um, state, you know, ranked athlete. I, I went, not a lot of participation awards I've seen. No, this is not true. Cut, cut that. Um, <laughs> we, we can tweet the, you know, Henry <laughs> you photo. Okay, the, I got. Not that you uh, ran in it. How did you place? Okay, we. I got a lot of medals and trophies for track and field. <laughs> Thank you very much. Some of my old opponents are probably listening right now. They, they remember. Not. They remember my they stats. Not. They remember they how I was blazing. Um, but what I'm saying is, like, if I listened to that guidance counselor, like, Momentum Advisors wouldn't exist today. You know, maybe I wouldn't have gone on to get a, a, a college degree and a master's degree. So what I'm saying is, like, you really don't know what you can do until you try. And that was true in 1933. It's true in 2022. Real education means to inspire people to live more abundantly and to learn to begin with life as they find it and make it better. That I love, right? And I feel like I wish that was posted on social media as much as, you know, God helps those who helps themselves and like all these arbitrary um, quotes that we hear. Because honestly, I think about when people talk about formal education, or when they just talk about education in general, they're automatically speaking to books, school, classroom. But no one is teaching people like how to live life. Yeah. Like how to do life, how to enjoy life. Mm -hmm. I do speaking engagements often. And when I do speaking engagements to students, specifically college students, I don't talk about any of the things that you're supposed to do, classes you're supposed to pass, um, internships you're supposed to get. Like, I'll let somebody else do that. I know they're going to be beating the head with that. I speak to joy. I speak to living life. I speak to, I need for you guys to figure out as you get older, how to be happy, how to find yeah. joy, how to enjoy your moments, how to be able to survive the bad moments because they're going to happen. No one talks to you about it, but it, they're going to happen. But I need you to survive them and still find joy and enjoy your life on the other side of it. I think that's one of the things that today's generation is having a very, very hard time with doing. And it's because no one talks about it. They just tell you to get good grades and be in class on time. And memorize a bunch of stuff. Right. And a lot of times the stuff you're memorizing is stuff that... It's not true. It's not true. And it's making you feel inferior. It's like not relevant. There's no context. Right. 
and new information hasn't been added to it yeah. that makes it honest and relevant to today's time. Like, why do I need to learn all about Greek mythology, about the ancient Romans, and the whole history of how Europe got formed and broken up into little pieces, and yet no education on the Ashanti warriors and all the different kingdoms that existed in Africa, all the different types of art and sculptures and architecture that was stolen from Africa, that was borrowed from Africa. Like, why do we get to learn about those things, but have to memorize these facts about all these other things? Yeah, I think if one is relevant, all is relevant, right? Yeah. But I just think that teaching people how to live life abundantly, abundantly, I think there needs to be just as much time and attention devoted to that as there is, as Alan mentioned, kind of like Greek mythology or just this history in general. I think all of it is relevant, um, but all of it doesn't get the same amount of time. It doesn't get the same amount of attention. There needs to be tests on that. We need to be testing on how to live life abundantly. So we're going to break. I'm Tiffany Hawkins. I'm Alan Boomer. And we're the Momentum Advisors. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Momentum Advisors. We have a quick word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. We are back. Yes. We're talking about the miseducation. Of all of us. Of all of us. I think of just all of our minds and how it plays a part in every area. I know we really focus on finances and wealth management and sometimes entrepreneurship. And I do genuinely believe that the biggest obstacle to creating wealth is your mindset. But honestly, this has an impact in your entire life in all ways. Facts. So we're just going through some quotes from Carter G. Woodson's book, The Miseducation of the Negro, which I think applies to, to Black folks today. But also these concepts apply generally and broadly. So I have something to talk about. I have a little confession or maybe just insight. Really? I don't really share... Y'all think I share a lot? You're I not really one don't. for insight. I'm, I'm curious <laughs> about I've this. Whatever, I've got all the insight. But this is me sharing about myself. Okay. Um. So recently I've hired a behavioral analyst. You talked about that last week. So you went and pulled the trigger. I went and pulled the trigger. Okay. And I'm really excited about it. But honestly, thinking about this podcast episode thinks about the reason why I really hired a behavioral analyst. Not because I'm trying to dispel myths or things that I hear in the media, but it is to hack my own way of thinking so that I have more control or insight into why I do the things the way that I do and am able to pivot quicker and more strategically. If okay. we could all just kind of like hack our own mindset, yeah. why do we think the way we think about ourselves? Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we believe the things that we believe? It'd be so helpful in being able to pivot when we realize I'm bigger than that. I'm better than that. I want different for myself. Do you yet know what your biggest behavioral hang-up is? It takes a while. Because I, I have a few. You don't know anything about me, <laughs> my, my mental situation. Yeah, I have but a I'm few. excited. I'm excited yeah. to see how this goes. I'm excited to learn about why I do certain things. Like and you're so, so combative. I'm example. not combative. But things that come up are like when you do this thing, what were you feeling before and what were you thinking after? Yeah. And trying to find the trends. And it's like, so whenever this feeling or whenever you see this thing or whenever you're in this place, it leads you to do this particular thing. Now that you know that, now that you're fully aware of that, you can opt not to do it, 
right? Or you can lean into it even more. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Behavioral analyst. Yeah, you, you need to be analyzed. Everybody needs to be analyzed. Your behavior needs to be corrected. It doesn't need to be corrected. And, and by the way, okay? this strengthened. Was, We're strengthening my behaviors. Yeah. Yeah, this was going to be in your development plan. There's so no is, development plan perfect that, that you're you, a part of. <laughs> wow, you jumped right in front of that. <laughs> That's good. All right. So Carter G. Woodson also talked about how in school, Negroes are made to despise opportunities in entrepreneurship. He talked about running a nice wagon or pushing a banana cart or selling peanuts and also doing it amongst your own people. Like we are taught that it's way better to get a job. It's way better to have a boss as opposed to being a boss and also having business where you're serving people in your own community. Yeah, I think it's taught that that's like the goal, right? The goal is to get the good job. And I think it should be the goal for some people. I just don't think that anybody should think it's their only goal. It's their only option. I am a person forever who felt like the bomb job was the goal for me. And entrepreneurship was not an option. Not because anybody told me that it wasn't, I just wasn't interested. Well, I, honestly, I felt like it was above me, like being responsible for all these people. Ah, I'm good at being responsible for myself. But I think I just want people to know that you have all the options under the sun, whether it is to work for someone else or to work for yourself or maybe not to work at all. Whatever the case is, I just want our people and all people to know and truly believe that all the options are available. It is your responsibility to choose and choose often. When's the last time you got a W-2, Tiffany? What year was it? <laughs> 2012, I think. But I'd take one if you, you know, anybody wants to offer me one in addition to all other forms of income. Yeah. All I'm saying is, like, you've been an entrepreneur for 10 years. And, like, a full-time entrepreneur. A full-time. Like a, no part-time. Yeah. No, yeah, not. No, I was on nobody's W-2. These taxes were my responsibility alone. Yeah, for me, my, my last W-2 was 2010, so 12 years. Um, I bring this up not not to, you know, brag or anything. It's really just to, to show that it's an option. Like, you can sustain yourself with entrepreneurship. It doesn't have to be a vow of poverty. I don't, I don't even like the term sustain. You could ball out in entrepreneurship. Yeah. And no, I think oftentimes yes. we think about, like, Jeff Bezos and Steve Jobs and Elon Musk, right? And because they're all white, or white facing, whatever the case is, it's like, well, that doesn't pertain to us, right? Even when you bring up Robert F. Smith, it's like, he don't count. Why doesn't he? <laughs> like, they all <laughs> count. And like, it's not, oh, entrepreneurship or, or whatever you choose is to sustain you. It needs to be to grow you in abundance. And yeah. you need to see that as the goal. Abundance as the goal. And abundance in all areas, not just financially. Like, you need to see that as the goal or just as an option for you. And I think the narrative that we've always received is that it's check to check or, you know, just trying to get by. And it needs to be moving forward abundance. How do we move towards abundance in all areas? What's the information that supports our abundance? And when we think about the woman king, because I have seen it, it does talk about the abundance of a tribe of people, what they did with it, good, bad, and otherwise. But you see that abundance is available. Now you determine what you do with it. I don't think that we receive enough information. There's not enough education. There's not enough narrative on the abundance that is available for people of color 
once we believe that it's ours and it's available to pursue it. Yeah. And for women and for a range of people, you know, when I think about this concept of, you know, how we're taught about work versus entrepreneurship, again, I'm not saying everybody's meant to be an entrepreneur. I definitely don't think it's for everyone, but people need to know that it's an option and it's an option where you can do really well to your point. Um, you may choose to go that route. You may choose not to go that route. But I think in our community, there's an over-focus on the side hustle. And I need to stay in this job because there's insurance or benefits or there's a retirement plan. Like you can make your own retirement plan as an entrepreneur. You know what I mean? And you know, one of the biggest things about entrepreneurship that I love about it, it's the idea that you know when you're working, you're you're really selling your time and and you can try to sell that time for a higher price by going back to school and getting more uh, experience but at the end of the day you're always limited in terms of how much time there is in a day a week a month a year and so if your only uh, way of moving up is to increase the price of that time you're still really capped because you're capped by the fact that there's only 24 hours in a day. As an entrepreneur, though, you're not capped by time. In fact, when I talk to entrepreneurs, I often try to get them to get out of that hourly mind mindset. Like a lot of entrepreneurs, especially in service businesses, want to price their, their, their business by the hour. I charge this amount per hour. This is how, how much my time costs. You really need to reorient your mind to think about units. Or think about projects, like this is how much it costs to get your project done. And then it's up to you to figure out how to get that done. I won't say in as little time as possible, but get it done as efficiently as possible so that you're you're selling a product or a, or a project and there, it's not tied to how long it took you to do it. So on this topic of entrepreneurship, you know, Carter G. Woodson also went on to talk about foreigners. And again, it's 1933, so don't, don't take this as if he was a xenophobe. But he, he goes on to say that foreigners who have not studied economics or business but have studied Negroes take up our businesses and grow rich, meaning like they'll open up a business in a black community and they'll make a ton of money. And it's just because of the orientation of how they were taught to go after business while we were taught to go after jobs. Yeah, and what I take from that is that there's a lot of money to be made in the black community, yeah. regardless of who takes the opportunity, mm -hmm. right? And so I think we delay maybe, and by we, I mean like the African-American community, maybe we delay in taking that first step. And so other people might take it before us, but our communities are rich in revenue, yeah, that's a fact. And maybe other people see it before we we do. Yeah, like I just, I don't know if you've been to the, um, we, we have some wonderful uh, Asian-owned um, hair, what do you call them, hair supply, beauty supply businesses in our town. Okay. Um, great business. We used to have an African-owned beauty supply business that went out of business for a number of different reasons. Well, but I will say this, right, because I, I do know what you're talking about, and both of us always went to the African-owned beauty supply store. From my knowledge... They retired, which, if that's the case, I take that as a success story. They yes. had that business for decades, and they used that money to put their kids through college, to live the lifestyle that they wanted to live, and they closed it. Now, there were other factors, but it was retirement for yeah, them. I, I do take that. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with the Asian-owned business. By the way, we do business with all sorts of people, and Asian folks, are they deserve money, too. I'm, I'm just making the point that— you know, and a lot of times in our communities, there are 
vacuums economically, meaning like folks who don't necessarily live in the community, um, don't necessarily hire folks from the community, and they're there to really vacuum money out of the community. You know, and again, nothing against the the beauty supply owner there, but it, it's it's crazy to see him thriving. I, I don't know that the African one, I don't know if he was thriving. I just don't know. Like like this, the folks that own the one right now seems like it's popping a lot. It's always packed when I, I've only been there one time. So it's hard to say always, but, you know, I, I think we just have to recognize that it's it's good for us to own some stuff too. It's good to have businesses, to your point, that's focused on the black dollar. It's good to just have businesses that, that, that we own in general. Yeah, I guess I'm saying like not even focusing on the black dollar. I think there's so much narrative around, as we mentioned earlier, there is no wealth in the black community, but we all know that's not true. If it wasn't true, we wouldn't have such significant spending and buying power. And so I'm saying our communities are rich, and that's why all people— including other cultures and races, come and open their businesses in our community because they know that there is wealth there. For sure. And we've got to see it, too. And we've got to be prepared to take advantage just like everybody else does. Yeah. And again, I think it's just seeing that the narrative that is sold to us, those people who are looking to profit, they're not they're not following that narrative. Right. If if the people who are looking to profit off of the black community were following the narrative that there's no wealth or declining wealth or negative wealth, they would run from our neighborhoods. Yeah. Instead, as we all know, they are doing anything they can to not only come into our neighborhoods, but mimic, right? And and our, our neighborhoods, our, our culture, because they know that there's really true wealth there. And that's a part of the narrative, again, that, that the media pushes towards us to get us to believe that you know, we are inferior or that we shouldn't be focused on abundance or we shouldn't be focused on living and loving life, it's constant miseducation. It's every day. It's not something that you heard one time. It is something that you hear every day in a variety of nuances, again, whether it's through media, people around you, your retail environment, school, and we just have to learn to block it out or to immediately determine this is not my truth. This is not the truth of my family, myself, or my community. Yeah. Yeah. This this book is deep, though. I definitely would advise for folks that are looking for some weekend reading, some light reading. Why not peruse definitely not light reading. the 1933 stylings of, of mm-hmm. none other than Carter G. Woodson? We're also not trying to piss you off. Don't read this book and go see The Woman King in the same weekend. Yeah. Okay? That's not, weekend, that's not mental. That's not a mental health yeah. Uh, exercise. It won't calm you down either. We had, uh, <laughs> I was going to buy this book for one of our clients who's kind of going through um, a little bit of a challenge right now with how he's kind of mad at, at a lot of a lot of folks, mad at the world. Tiffany's like, don't give him that book. <laughs> right. No, give him something light. Send him the yeah. trailer for The Little Mermaid. Let him know, listen, there's a lot of other things going on out there. <laughs> so you could see Holly Berry. It's not Holly Berry. <laughs> it's not Holly Berry. Holly, if Holly, Holly Berry Bailey. was the Little Mermaid, I would be in an uproar too. Okay. I wouldn't want that. Okay. So other things in this book, he says the education of the Negro, which again is the most important thing that's going to uplift him. It's almost entirely in the hands of those who have enslaved and now segregate him. So again, it's this notion that like the one thing that we need is education, or it's one of the things that we need to change our lives. We're being educated by the ones that 
you know, put us in this position to begin with. And so, again, we've got to be all about educating ourselves, our children and ourselves, reorienting our minds about what it is to live that life of abundance, different opportunities that, that are out there. One way that I think is just a really unique but relevant form of education is stepping outside of your current environment. A lot of us are educated by the neighborhoods that we grew up in, the people around us, kind of like the misfortunes and struggles and sacrifices that we see on a regular basis. And that's the only education that we have about the world or what living looks like. Step outside of that and go into different environments. Leave the country if you can. Leave your neighborhood. There's so many people who haven't left their state. Like, go to other places to see how other people live. Talk to those people and just get a feel for how they feel in their everyday lives. I think we need diversity in our education. We talk about diversifying your portfolio, making sure you have some safe stuff, some risky stuff, you know, some alternative stuff that has nothing to do with these things. Yet we allow ourselves to be educated by the same town, the same group of people, like, you know, the the same information. We got to be equally diversified in the education and what we take in on a regular basis. And I don't mean, yeah, I got a little bit of TV, a little bit of social media, you know what I mean? And I read the newspaper. I, I don't mean that. I mean, in living life. Leave your block, leave your community, leave your state. Go to a, go, please go to somewhere other than Miami. Like go, go to the Midwest randomly. Utah is a beautiful place. You wouldn't believe it. There's plenty of black people there. Like go to other places and just see how other people live. It's a reason why Dave Chappelle lives in Ohio. But all that money in the world, you know, there's something beautiful there for him. He talks about what his neighborhood is like. Go to other places and talk to other people and hear other black people, hear how they live and how they're feeling. I am telling you, you will be educated and you will be exposed to greater opportunities and ways to live abundantly and grow your life. Okay. So enough of Carter G. Woodson. Please. Sex symbol. No. International man of Does anybody even know what he looks like? (laughs) Sex symbol. Okay. He's bald. He's balding. He's got Is the he George alive? Jefferson. No, exactly. He's not he wasn't. That's what I'm saying. He's not, he, he wasn't always bald. There was probably a point in time when he might have been fine. Oh, Carl like, G. Woodson was the man. He's like Billy D. Williams. Lies of 1933. Oh my God. Let me. Okay, I don't know if we've ever talked about this on oh air, God. but we're gonna talk about it now. Allen, right? And Allen's, you know, a heterosexual Y'all can man. Fast forward this, but Allen. Like gives specifically his friends, but when it comes to men, right? He's always like, "Oh, don't you think oh he's God. cute, Tiffany? You don't Why think he's cute?" Because you've already given Carter G. Wilson <laughs> Billy D. Williams, so Alan will always be like, "He's so cute," and I'll turn around and he will be one of the most unattractive human beings I've ever seen. Now, I'm not even talking about men. your friends; just human beings walking to earth. Alan is quick. Like, he does only like does him. this with men because he never does it. Like he's like, "Don't you think he's cute? Look at that guy! Oh, look who just walked in. He's cute, Tiffany. He, don't you think he's cute? He's never cute." We're never on the same page with this. Alan's definition of cute is way too liberal. I say this to say, recently we did a job interview, right? We had a job interview for (laughs) one of our dry cleaners. And I was already in a meeting. And Alan was outside with the candidate. And he was texting me like, okay, our candidate's here. He's really cute. And I'm like, here we go. I already knew what it was. I already knew what he ain't listening. We didn't employ him. So so there's that. Alan's gassing him in my text message. I'm like, I already know what I'm dealing with. So I'm, I'm not expecting much. This man walks in. Killing the game. Not at all. Not, he probably looked like Carter G. Woodson. <laughs> like, he absolutely, it was a mess. So I'm positive that he doesn't look like Billy D. Williams. 
Okay? <laughs> don't ever take Alan's advice. If Alan is a personal friend of yours and he's trying to yeah. hook you up with somebody, don't do it. Yeah. Um, Because he doesn't look good. Another compliment for like somebody's like, yo, you looking good. You looking like Carter G. Good. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay? But either way, moving off of Carter G. Woodson. Please. Okay? Gentlemen of quality. <laughs> okay? Um, other lies that we've been told. You know, like right now there's a big push for diversity, you know, right? George Floyd's death really prompted this discussion of diversity in corporate America. And a lot of the discussion is around, well, you know, the, there's a the browning of America. There's a lot more Latinx and, and African-Americans. We, we need to start hiring to reflect what the world is starting to look like. Like, I, yeah, that's, a, I guess, a reason. But the real reason is like, Folks are realizing that there's a lot of really smart black people and brown people and women that haven't been getting opportunities. Right. And if we can put them in a good position, we're going to win. Or just put them in the same position that white people have been put in for all of this time. I don't. I agree with Alan. It's not about like this intentional percentage that we need to get to. It is about let's now open these same doors for brilliant black people brown people who you have been overlooking for all these periods of time and give them a fair shot. That's it. Because I'm certain if you give them a fair shot, they will earn these positions that they deserve to be in. They will earn these C-suite roles, these board seats, these executive roles, but you have kept them out. So let's just stop canceling black and brown people and just now open the door to them. I don't really care about a percentage. I don't really care. And I don't mean, like, I know there's things like the 15% pledge. I think that is key. But I mean, like, these corporations who are like, we need to get, you know, 30% black new hires. Like, I don't I don't need to just, just be exposed to the brilliance of black and brown people. I'm sure your number will exceed 30%. I also look at the organizations like Google just announced are giving all this money to Black-owned venture capital firms. And yeah, it's there's a social reason to do it. But I think also low-key, Google's like, yo, let's look at these track records. These folks are uncovering deals that we never thought were possible. They're getting great returns and we want some of that money. And so what I'm getting at is don't let this diversity thing make you feel like we're finally getting a, a, you know our shot at, at the plate because of the browning of America. Like there's a lot of talent that you bring. There's a lot of wealth that you bring, wealth of knowledge, wealth of experience, passion, hustle, hard work. That's the reason why you're going to get hired. That's the thing that corporate America is looking for that they're not telling you about. We have more that we want to talk to you about when it comes to this miseducation. So stick with us. I'm Tiffany Hawkins. I'm Alan Boomer. And we're the Momentum Advisors. It's the pathway to We are back. Yes. I feel like our conversation is a little heavy. No. I feel like people are used to us having like lighter conversations. I'm tired or, of people being lied to, Tiffany. Oh my God. Here you Especially go. Especially by you. I, I don't lie to people. Um, but this, uh, this conversation does feel different. You know, we're not focused on numbers as much as we normally are. Returns, profit, things of that nature. Even though that is the baseline for us having this conversation with you. It's because of the woman king. That's why we're talking about is this. Is it? The woman king is reminding us of how great See, we could be. Don't say us. Some of how us great. already knew. Some of, some of us have been you operating in our greatness. You didn't know how great you could be until That's you saw lie. the woman king. Okay. Alan's definitely talking about himself. Y'all know okay. I've been great. 
So <laughs> The Woman King is, now a, know. is a lovely movie, and I implore you to go see it. Please go see this movie but, um, this weekend. I was great before Viola Davis got involved. Yeah. So we're, we're talking about the lies that have been told. We're, we're speaking truth to power, as they say. Tiffany. I hate when people say that. I just have to. <laughs> I, I just don't know what it means. That. I have to. Admit I, have to admit that. I don't even know what it means. So that's, say. that's it. Sounds I, good though. So I don't hate. When, I I don't hate when people say it. I'm just. I'm being too free at this moment. Y'all done brought up Carter G. Woodson and everything else. I hate when white people say it. I'm sorry, y'all. And I love. I love all the. I, love, I really do love everybody. But when white people say um, we're speaking truth to power, I don't know what you're talking about. What truth and what power are you talking about? Because if you're talking about your white power, I don't want you to speak to my truth. Like, I'm so confused on what it means. And it just seems like this term that people throw out to sound woke. I feel like I know what it means when other people say it. But when white people say it, I really just need a little bit of context. And then I'll probably be better with it. But with no context, I don't know what I hear white power. I hear truth to white power. We're speaking truth to power today. And if you know about truth to power and we're speaking it right now, by the way, just tweet us and let us know what that means. I think it means we're telling the truth to the power structure that be. Okay. And they don't like it. I also think. We like our power structure. We also think that the truth we're speaking is creating power. Alan's making it okay. up as he goes along. Doing and I don't want to make stuff. it up. I just want y'all to tell me what y'all mean yeah. when y'all say it so I can be on board. Because yeah. right now, I don't know what you're talking about. Therefore, I'm not on board. Yes. Other lies we've been told is that, you know, we need to wait for the handout of, of a reparation or some other sort of handout instead of going out and, and you know. Here's the thing. I'm all for reparations. Yeah. I no, really facts. am. I actually have a very clear strategy on what I want my particular reparations yeah. to look like. Um, so. Yeah. I, unlimited fruit and vegetables for that's six not, months. No. Six months. <laughs> that's not what my reparations plan looks like for me personally. Um, but. I do believe in reparations. I do believe we deserve reparations. Oh, facts. I hope we get them. I don't know if we're going to get them, but us getting them has nothing to do with my plan to make progress in life one way or the other. So if you are waiting for reparations in order for you to be great, succeed, have the things you want in life, I'm not in agreement with that Mm -hmm. at all. I need for you to figure out how you're going to get these things done with the resources you currently have. And anything that comes extra, any, and it's not a handout, anything that we deserve because we all know in life, we don't get what we deserve all the time. If if these things do come to fruition, it's just going to accelerate what you were already doing for yourself. But I do agree the narrative that we can't do a thing till somebody else gives us something yeah. is a lie and pure, pure miseducation. I think that is a tactic to keep us stagnant and in place because they know they're not going to give it to us. Or if they do give it to us, it will be of the least quality available. But I do think that's a tactic. We do not have to wait on anybody to do anything for us. Nope. And I mean as a people or individual. And you in your house right now, you don't need to wait for anybody to do any, unless you are under the age of 18. If you are under the age of 18, sit down. But you don't have to wait for some handout for you to be able to accomplish anything that you want in life. That speaks for entrepreneurship. Oh, I just need an angel investor. Oh, I just need somebody. No, you can do it. We've done it. We've seen it. We've coached people on it. You can do it without these angel investors. Um, Oftentimes, investors are not angelic, um, but you do not need to wait on whether it's from the government, white people, whoever, for you to accomplish anything. We can't come together as a people to support each other. We can't do it. Black people can't do it. Yeah, I don't. I don't even. I don't know who you're talking to because people don't say this to me in my real it's life. It's being said. Yeah, I don't. It's not being said around me. But 
it's not something that I subscribe to. I, we see black people come together all the time. We are also graduates of HBCUs, which is the definition of black people coming together. Um, so, and we are products of HBCUs. We go back and continue to support our and other HBCUs. Um, we do a lot of really black things um, where black people come together. So I, I don't believe that narrative. I do know that it's pushed. And again, it is a tactic. It is literally a strategic tactic so that we don't come together by telling us, you know, we can't do this. You won't try to do it. You won't consider doing it. You won't make that a option for you to do. But it's the same thing with women. You know, you know, women can't get along. I haven't had a fight with a woman in, in a week. <laughs> shut up. In seventies. <laughs> no, since I was a teenager, I, I don't have this notion that women can't get along, especially black women. I think I think it's pushed for. I don't ever hear anybody say, you know, white women. You know, when they get together, it's gonna be a mess. I've never heard that in my life. Asian women or Indian women. It's really two black women. Like black women can't come together. This is a narrative. Again, this is completely untrue. Black women. If you if you are a black woman. You know, when black women come together, we have a good-ass time. Um, we can move the world. We can make anything happen that we want to happen. But it is just this narrative. And so I think what we're saying right now, we're saying things that we hear often that we know are miseducation and we don't want you to take them in. And if, and if anything, I think the call of action is when you hear these things, shut them down. And you hear in your in whatever circles you're in, whether it's at work, whether it's in social circles, whether it's in school, wherever you are, just shut it down because you do not want to continue to perpetuate or just allow the miseducation of our people. And I'm, I do just mean all people at this point. Yeah, we don't want this to continue to happen. It's yeah. having an impact on our wealth, on our finances, and on our living life abundantly. Yeah, don't think about what you can't do. Don't think about limitations that other people have put on you. Think about what you can do. And I believe that you can do it. I know Tiffany believes you can start that business you've been thinking about. You can save some money. You can retire well. You can live that life of abundance. You can leave a financial legacy for your kids. You can become wealthy. These are all things that you have the option to do. We've just got to reorient our minds. There's been a lot of black folks that have been wildly successful that we know nothing about. Even in the 1800s, we had folks like Jeremiah Hamilton, who became a millionaire. We had Madam C.J. Walker. We had Mary Ellen Pleasant, who I bet you never heard of, Tiffany. We got Robert Reed Church. Did you know today even, Tiffany, there are 15 black billionaires on this planet right now? The thing is— 15. I bet you there's more than that. Probably. I bet you there's more than that. Probably. A hundred percent, I think, is more than that. You know, black people, we don't like people in our business, first of all. For, hey, how do you get on this list? Word is born. This is my real question. How do you get on this list? And by that, I mean, they're not pulling the tax returns of every black oh, person. Yeah. So I got to notify you. I have to be some yeah. sort of public figure. Black people, we are great at minding our business, yeah, we really especially are. when it comes to our money. Yeah. So if y'all say it's 15 black billionaires, it's easily 60. Yeah. That y'all don't know anything about. Like you never heard of a Lico Dan Goat, I'm sure. Have you, Tiffany? No. Did you go to the Dan Goat party I last week? I definitely didn't. A Lico Dan Goat's got 14 Billy. He owns a cement company. He's African. Um, Mike Adenaga. Adenaga. You are bastardizing these people's names. Mike Adenaga. Okay. These are folks we haven't heard of. What I'm getting at is like, I'm not going to go through all 15 of the people, okay? Tiffany hasn't heard of most of them anyway. Listen, I'm um, sure there's, there's <laughs> black billionaires of all, again, there's probably uh, Keisha Williams, that's a black billionaire, yeah. who's minding her business and hopes, you know, people don't know what she has. 
Again, I even th- again these lists. We're not even gonna talk about also, Abdul Samad Rabiu. We ain't even gonna talk about. We're him. not. We're not. We won't even bring him up. It's no point in bringing him up. I, honestly, I think these lists are kind of bullshit. I'm just. My, I know it's great to honor and recognize these people. And we won't even talk about Patrice Motsep. You need to stop talking about these people. Period. <laughs> because the way you are ruining their names, it's actually disrespectful. Um, Oprah Winfrey. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is what I have to deal with on a regular basis. And actually, this is how I know we're at the end of this podcast episode because he's getting delirious. But don't let these lists, don't let these statistics, these narratives that we hear on a regular basis, wherever they're coming from, if they're not encouraging you, mm-hmm. then it's not relevant to you. And I'm telling you, a lot of this information that's put out, while it may seem like, no, this is scholastic, this comes from an educational forum, it's strategic, it's strategic and they might be putting out a piece of the truth but not telling the whole story. And it's the whole story. That's our full education, yeah. right? Bits and pieces of what they want us to know, leaving out the parts that they do want us to know. I don't even know who they is. Um, but we have to re-educate ourselves based around our abilities, our capacity, our opportunity, the boundless space that's put in front of us in our future for wealth building, for entrepreneurship, for, as Alan mentioned, breaking generational curses. I also don't completely understand what that means all the time. Um, I'll tell you off, off mic. I'm just saying, half the times, y'all don't know y'all generational curses. You don't know your generation. But whatever it is, um, it's time for us to just move away from all of that. Yeah. And I don't mean in operating in like fake woke or like, you know, what do they call it? It's like toxic positivity. I don't mean that. Like, I mean, living in this real world and knowing that in this real world, as you stand, you are capable of living abundantly. And there is information and stories and history and context that speak to and support that. Whether we are hearing it on a regular basis, it's not happening. But we got to push away all this negative context as well. We will be back next week. I'm Tiffany Hawkins. I'm Alan Boomer. And we are the Momentum Advisors. Momentum.